Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Our homes are the very launching pad, I believe, of tomorrow's leaders, church and civil. And uh, certainly, uh, our homes reflect, guide, promote, and produce the kind of children, hopefully, that would honor the Lord. And as parents, grandparents, we have a lot to do with that kind of culture environment. And so I hope these messages are practical, insightful to you in regards to our homes. I will for the next little while be focusing in on that. Father, we commit our time and the word to you today. Thank you for the good week we've had here in Bible study and of course with our kids at soccer camp. We thank you for the time we enjoy with them. We're grateful for the spiritual advances that were made in their little lives. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to spur them on to greater things, greater growth. Thank you for our our homes in this church. Thank you for the foundation, the godly parents that you have given us. And I pray that we would honor you right where it matters most in our homes and in our families. I pray you'll just give us your insights that we need today. And Lord, I pray that we long remember the truths from Second Peter chapter 1. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's read the first 14 verses together. If you're there, Second Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter. This is a little different than his first letter. His first letter was to encourage hearts that were suffering. Here he rebukes those who are false teachers and false prophets. And one of the greatest philosophies at the time, existing at the time, was Gnosticism. And he combats that in the second letter. And really, this is his swan song. It's his last letter before the Lord would take him home. First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant. I like that, an apostle of the Lord Jesus, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, on top of this, in addition to this, give all diligence, add to your faith, that is your statement of faith, your trust in Christ, add to that virtue, add to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, and to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus, excuse me, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then he says this, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. 
Yea, I think it is, is me or fitting as long as I am in this tabernacle, this earthly body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, my body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Well, let's start with the promise in verse 8, shall we? Here it is, 2 Peter 1.8, wonderful promise. If these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is just saying that after sharing with us seven virtues or graces or disciplines in grace that are so necessary for maturity. I mentioned the trend of the day was Gnosticism. And he was combating that and false teachers that were infiltrating the church and promoting this kind of what they called higher consciousness. Gnosticism from the Greek word knowledge stated that there was a level of knowledge that you could attain by kind of going into a mystic trance, (laughs) checking uh, your brain out almost. And it's a state of mind that would give you a secret closeness to the cosmic divinity, wherever that was and whoever that was, and you could be furnished by a a heightened state of consciousness through uh, this really attention to the cosmic deity, this cosmic or lesser divinity, of course, than Christ himself. Christ, in their view, was, of course, a lesser God. He was just a manifestation of a remote divine reality. And if that confuses you, it confuses me too. But anyway, they were coming into the church and saying, Christ isn't really the answer. It is this mysticism and this kind of trance-like state that will elevate you and your, your physical and your mental capacities to a level of secret knowledge that is amazing. Well, Peter, in this last letter before he goes on to glory, wants us to know that it is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the end of knowledge, the source of truth, and we are to focus on Christ and Him alone. His Word is sufficient. Not some other strange philosophy. He is excited to give us the basics to our progression in Christ. And I think that's the baseline. When we think about building maturity in the lives of parents and children alike, is to understand who is the source of truth, what is the source of truth, and to build our lives, to build our families on this book and the author of it. Amen? We don't need some weird, uh, ecstatic utterance or some strange, mystic feeling to get us closer to God. We just need to turn to the Word. I hope you love the Word of God. So today's lesson, or really the message today, is rediscovering the lost school of charm, (laughs) rediscovering God's school of charm. And he gives us these wonderful, that's a word that's kind of fallen in disrepute lately, but God's wonderful system by which we can grow in our walk with the Lord. And he gives us in verses 5 through 7, the steps to understanding and knowing the Lord, and growing in the Lord. And that's what we all need. I know I need it. We go closer to the Lord. You see, there are two sides. And James says the same thing. There are really two sides to the gospel. There is the profession of it, and there's the practice of it. Are you a professing believer, or are you a practicing believer? Believing it and behaving it. Well, the first side is fairly simple, right? Most of you... If I were to ask you, would say, yes, I, there was a time in my life where I professed 
um, Christ. That is to say, I believed in my heart that he indeed is God of very gods, that he came in a human form and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for my sins. And there he was not only crucified, but he was buried and rose again for my justification. And there was a moment in my life, a time in my life, where I either went forward or I knelt by a bed or I, in, in a VBS setting, I, I said some words like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to spend eternity separated from you. But thank you for loving me enough, for dying in my place, and finally finishing the work and paying for my redemption's price. And Lord, I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Some of you, most of you in this room would say, yes, that's my profession of faith. And Peter is asking us, so what have you done about that? How has that profession changed your life? How are you progressing? We call that progressive sanctification. Are you behaving like a Christian? Well, if you are a professing believer, Peter is saying, you must also be a practicing believer to put on, as it were, the charms, the attraction of Christ that comes as we get closer and closer to God. There is a reflection of His glory in our lives. Verses 1 and 2, 2 Peter, tell us, you know God. Verse 3 says, you have been enabled by God. Look at again, verse 3, his divine power has given unto you all things that are necessary, that pertain unto life and godliness. Practically speaking, you cannot say at any time uh, to a Christian friend, well, listen, I, I just can't do that. I can't follow God. It's just too hard for me because James... Peter will remind us that, no, God has fully enabled you by the Spirit of God who lives and is resident in you. I remember um, in the 1970s, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you can remember the 1970s, but I, I survived the 70s, and I was visiting a public high school near our, I went to a Christian high school, a large Christian high school, but I was wondering, maybe we were playing against them in sports or something, but I walked down their hallway and I still remember this. There was a little poster uh, on, the, on the hallway about charm school. This is the truth. This is back in the 70s. And there was a little poster about there was a charm school that was there. And it was being, classes were being taught. And I won't ask you to raise your hand if you remember such a thing as charm school. This is really God's school of His grace that reflects His glory, His charm, so to speak, in a, in a very... Uh, sinful world. But in those days, some of you smiling because you remember perhaps charm school. In those days, uh, charm school was about this, how to introduce yourself to others properly, how to speak properly, how to address an elder, how to set a table. How many of you high schoolers know how to set a table? That's what I thought. No, there's most of you probably. Mom's taught you. Mom put you through charm school, didn't she? Personal hygiene, appropriate dress, manners, common courtesy, etiquette, civility. That school has largely gone away. <laughs> it has. Sadly, in our culture, it has gone away. That school uh, has, uh, of course, been lost in decrepacy. And there's a uh, the schools are gone, the buildings are in shambles, the windows are broken out, weeds are growing over their sidewalks. No more charm schools left, it seems. 
And now they've become warehouses for drug dealers and gangs. What happened to common courtesy? We're talking, listen, about the things that come when we get closer to God. There is a certain attraction, an aura of charm. I I call it that because God just calls it Christ-like character. And isn't that the goal of our families, to not only be that way as charming as parents, but to produce children who reflect the glory of God? Well, 2 Peter 1, 5-7, they're... uh, We're really seeing the culture of the Lord reflected in the church. And sadly, even within the church, this is becoming less and less apparent. We are not Christ-like Christians. And I challenge you this morning, really, by way of encouragement, that you would draw near to God so that your character, your practice, would match your profession. And that by that practice, you would attract people to Christ. We're living, sadly, uh, yesterday reminds us of this. We're living in these last days. The Bible tells us in the last days, savage or perilous times will come. All you have to do is drive through Atlanta, I guess, and you understand the culture is becoming more and more, uh, right? It's just it, people are all about themselves and There's a war going on. All of us face it between what we want and what God wants. We're saved in an instant, but it takes a lifetime of growth to reflect the beauty of Christ. Parents, can I encourage you, don't give up. Maybe you've had a rough week with your children, and you wonder, will they ever get it? I know that we went through that too, and we wonder... If it wouldn't be great to build a charm, I doubt we'd have many applicants to charm school uh, anymore, but God certainly is going to take us through that school here. I remember as we were um, dealing with our little ones, uh, the truth of the fact is that it takes a while for charm, God's charm, to be reflected in the little ones. We um, remember when Whitney was about three or four, she followed me into grandma's house, or excuse me, my mother-in-law's house, and, and uh, she just, I don't know if this ever happens, but she just took the door behind me and just slammed it shut. Bang! You could hear it throughout the whole house. And, and I turned, I said, Whitney, again, she's a toddler, I mean, a little older than that. Why did you do that? That's rude, and it's not even good for the door. Well, I asked her the wrong question, right? Why do you ask kids why? (laughs) Do they do what they do? Well, they're young, they're immature, they're growing. We're trying to teach you, Whitney, some manners. Don't do that all the time with the door. That's tough on the door. And then we told her, don't run in church. You have seven acres around the church at that time in which you can stretch your little legs, but this is a special place. Don't run in church. It's hard to teach those little legs not to run when they've got space to run. Honey, this is a little more, this is probably a little more embarrassing to me. It was when I was a young pastor, but I I noticed that Whitney, everyone, well, should I say it right here in church? She would, well, she would pick her nose right in church. Seemed like she would wait until she got to church to do that. Can you believe that was in the notes this morning? Well, she was the preacher's daughter, 
And I told her, we have trained you better than that. We have. Why do you embarrass us like this? Why do you do such a thing? It's embarrassing. You ought to know better than doing that. Well, it took her a while to get past that. Finally, I caught her doing it again. I said, honey, again, I asked the wrong question. Why would you do that? Stop it. And her answer, I'll never forget. She said, daddy, because I like it. (laughs) Why do you do the things you do? Well, we have sinful hearts and we're prone to sin. And that's our default mode. I just like to do it, she said. There's a battle with our flesh. And Peter recognizes that. And if you're going to grow in Christ, mature, you are in a continual war with self. Oh, yes, you've been saved. And that will never change. But here's what Peter says. He says, I want you to give all diligence to this growth process. Verse 5, besides this, give all diligence. Be serious about this. Get get serious. Get sober-minded. Be intense about this thing called spiritual development, maturity. Don't just get saved and settle there. You know That God expects you to put heart into this thing. Give all diligence to the process of spiritual maturity. God wants you to be engaged in this. As I left the church last night, a police car was stationed in our parking lot. And uh, just due to the shootings around the corner from us in Hampton. uh, Listen, our, our, our whole society is 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 degrading, right? That's the promise of Scripture. But the church ought to be a highlight of folks that are moving in the other direction, not giving sway to the impulses, the angry impulses of the heart that can turn violent and murderous. We are to be different people because God lives in us. The church is not sinless, but we ought to be sinning Less. And Peter's reminded that, uh, reminded us of that. Uh, the power comes from God as we start. He says, We are fully furnished, verse 3, to live the Christian life in such a way that God is not ashamed. He's glorified in you. And verse 3, he says, He's given this divine power. You are fully furnished in all things that pertain to spiritual life. You do not lack for God's enabling. Strength. So we cannot say, I just can't. The devil made me. Yes, you can, because greater is he that is in you than greater than he that is in the world. Secondly, Peter presses the point in the precious promises regarding our new life in Christ. We are not only fully furnished, we are newly natured. God is in you now. God is making a difference in you. God is the new impulse that has moved in. Yes, you still have the residue of the old nature in you, but, it's, but there's a new sheriff in town. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit. And you are partakers, the Bible says, you are partakers of His divine nature. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 4, He's given us exceeding great and precious promises relating to our new birth in Christ, that by these you are, the word there in the Greek is you are partners with Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus. You're not only fully equipped for this growth process, you are newly natured. And not only you are newly natured, verse 4, you are divinely purposed. Back up to verse 3. He's given us the divine power 
through the knowledge of Him that has called us. This has to do with your eternal purpose. He's called us to His glory, Greek, it's doxa, that idea. You are to reflect. When I would lean down and say, Whitney, she was this big, thankfully she's gotten over some of those habits. Whitney, you embarrassed us. Well, we're often more worried about what? The way we look than what the kids look like. But in a sense, what we're saying is, what God is saying is, I have called you, newly natured you, fully equipped you. And the end of that, that first section there said, I have also redeemed you. I have redeemed you, released you, delivered you from the corruption that is in the world through lust. I have fully released you, given you freedom. Because of all these things, you are to reflect my glory. That's my purpose in life. How have you done last week with that in your homes? With your children, how have you done reflecting the glory of God? There's a glow, a charm around a believer that is God's scent if we're truly living. So as you approach the steps to God's charm school, right above the door is all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you do, you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. That's the purpose, isn't it, of our Christian life? We reflect His goodness to a lost and dying world. Well, Peter's talking about Christians growing up and reflecting the great grace of God. Seven graces, seven classes. So let's matriculate quickly in God's school of charm. The first class is There in verse 5, it's virtue. Give all diligence. Be serious about this. Verse 4 tells us that you are to give all diligence. Verse 5, make sure that this isn't something that's peripheral, that's Sunday only, that's just uh, really marginal to your life. This is your life. I ask you today, what are you doing with Christ in your life? What are you doing? Well, I'm giving all diligence. I'm not playing with this. I'm giving my heart to it. We had a coach that used to look at the boys and say, give me your heart. That's what God wants. Give all diligence to this. Quit making your religion a Sunday thing. It is your life. So get serious about it. Add, he says, the word is a, uh, in verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, the word add is interesting. It is the, it's a musical Greek in the Greek, it's a musical term from which we get choreography or chorus. So God has given you, He's fully furnished you, He's given you a new nature, He's given you all the enablements you need, He's saved you from the corruption of hell uh, through lust and personal desire, He's uh, given you the Spirit of God, He's given you all these things, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, I want you to support the melody of faith. The gift of God's grace in your life. Support that by adding all these wonderful things, by these disciplines of grace. Like the harmony supports and builds the melody line. Here's, Here's the harmony that we bring to the truth of God saving us. It says, beside this, add, like a grand choir, every part is important. Not one more important than the other, but every part is equally valuable to your reflection of God's glory. To faith, add virtue. That simply is our attained moral excellence. 
so important that we have in our homes carefully guarded the morality of our hearts. Parents, yourselves, this is important, that you're to guard your own heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The Lord is our song and salvation. We ought to also have this moral excellence in all that we do. No shadows, no double entendre, no no evil shadows of darkness, morally speaking. In our homes, police carefully this vital and beautifying grace of God's moral excellence. Every day, did you know this? Every day the old devil is going to knock on your family's door. Can I come in? How do you reckon he comes into your family setting? Well, let's be honest, okay? The television, oh, he loves that. Do your kids just watch whatever they want to, whenever they want to, without your accountability? What about their phones? Unfiltered? Videos? Here the devil comes knocking on the door of your heart with seductions that tempt you to leave the path of moral purity. So parents, you must be the first to guard your own heart, then, the, then the, all the avenues by which the devil would like to infiltrate our homes. Morally excellent, because Christ in all of his perfections is sinless, and our calling is to reflect his glory. The devil is so good, isn't he, about coming into our homes and lives? He is. I don't care how careful we are. He's always vigilant to come and just try to destroy. And he, he's good at disguising poison and death with cute faces and modest figures. But ours isn't just a calling to filter these images, but to remind ourselves of the first truths in Second Peter. It's not just about saying no. Kids, we can't look at that because the preacher said it's bad. No, we can't look in that. No, we can't listen to that music. No, we can't do that. It's not just about no. It's about those wonderful principles that ought to motivate us to godly moral excellence because God has saved us, because God has fully equipped us, because God is living in, because God has delivered us from the corruption of this world and eternity in in hell, because of all these things, kids, we have to reflect a moral excellence. That's who God is. My parents would say, kids, as you go out, remember who you are, you're Christians. And then remember whose you are, you're Christ's. And if you remember those two things, you're never going to embarrass us because you are indeed part of God's family. I want you to remember that. You're a new nature, divinely purposed, fully furnished, graciously freed from sin. So be morally pure and excellent. Secondly, knowledge, gnosin, gnosin, God's truth. This is where we must really build our homes and our lives on this book, the revelation of God's heart to us. I, I know it's easy. The devil is good about letting this book get dust covered, right? It, it, but without it, we're lost. And he's not talking about an esoteric knowledge. And when he uses that word, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. How well do you know the book? Parents, it's okay. I say this. It's okay to force your young children to memorize Scripture. I know it's hard, right? 
No one likes to do that. But do you know, as I'm driving from here to there, uh, as I'm traveling, as I'm fighting my own temptations, preachers have them too, and we're going, do you know what the you know what the, the force field around my heart is? It's verses that I learned, a lot of the verses I learned when I was three and four and five and six and on. My parents forced us to memorize. There is a truth here that when, when, when he's talking about knowledge, it's not mental or academic knowledge. It's spiritual truth that comes from this book. So if we're going to have homes that reflect the glory of God, they have to be word-centered homes. Uh, by the things you post on the walls, by the times you meet together regularly with your kids, and be appropriate about this, age appropriate, bring the Bible to their level, help them to understand some of the dusty theological word, and put it down on the bottom shelf. And maybe you're not a, a Bible school graduate, but every one of us, dads, moms, can take this book and take principles and daily bring them, as Deuteronomy 6 would remind us, to bring it down to where they can live and walk and remind them often of the Word of God that is able to save and able to prepare them for that moment they shall see Christ. I didn't count every word in this Bible, it's the King James here, but I, I looked it up. And there's over 700, almost 800,000 words in the Bible. And let's say you live to be your 80 years of age, uh, by, by, by reason of strength, God gives you that many years. No one has promised another day, never another minute. We oh, sobered by the thought of yesterday, a life taking surprisingly, surprised all of us. But imagine if you gave your children the gift early of knowing the words of God that are eternal, that are God-breathed, that are inspired by God, the only book that is God-breathed. Do you think that might protect them through life, even though they may have balked a little bit of having to memorize Scripture? Work along with them. These are the words of life. And it's only by our attention to this knowledge here that comes from knowing the book. I had a professor in college that challenged us one day in Bible class. He says, you can take the book of John and you can read a verse in the book of John. And I'll close my Bible and I'll tell you exactly what chapter it is, it, it is in and I can probably tell you what verse it is. He says, I know that book so well that I know every verse in that, in, that, in that particular book. Wouldn't it be great if our kids left God's school of charm, they leave your house, and they at least know part of the Bible word for word? Wouldn't that be great? Knowledge, uh, and, and really, develop the habits of Bible study early. Give them, force them to spend time in the Word. You know that as that habit becomes habitual, consistent, they will come to you, surprise you. I'm learning something. Have them journal. Have them write down. Why, what's so important? What, what is God teaching me? It's just a blessing to see that produce a crop of righteousness. Don't let, don't let Disney become their God. Pluto, Mickey, Minnie, Donald should not be their favorite apostles. 
getting quiet. These are the words of life. And it is my job as a parent to monitor, gauge, provide accountability so that they can turn their little hearts towards the God who made them with intention and has a plan for them that is eternal. And one day we'll welcome them at the finish line and ask them, so what did you do with my book? Oh, how we ought to love it. Thirdly, Peter says, support your testimony by adding the discipline of temperance, that self-control, literally, to hold oneself in. Is that tough? (laughs) Teaching your children to control themselves. This means to hold your passions in check. Remember our daughter daughter Whitney, when she was very young, her philosophy, like any young kid is, Daddy, I do things because I like to do them. Your children want what they want, and they want it now. We must make every effort to put them early into a war with self, to teach them that they can control what their little legs do and their little eyes see. And there's this ongoing training in the heart of a good family where you can control even what you think about. And you can change your attitude. You don't have to whine and moan forever. You, my, my dad would just look at me and, and we would be whining about something. He would say, son, I'm going to give you about three seconds to change your attitude. One, two, yes, sir. Put a smile on me. It's possible to control ourselves Susanna Wesley would take her 17 children. She would take her children and she would, her young, young children that were, uh, we would consider them, some of them today, ADHD. And she would simply hold them in her lap until they quit fighting and squirming. And she would teach them to sit still at a young age for up to an hour on her lap. Oh, my kid's out of control. We got to medicate that kid. Self-control. All right, so that's the important thing. You know what um, the Lord used when he was um, fighting the devil? First of all, the, really the, um, the first preemptive strike was prayer, Matthew 4. He prayed, fasted for 40 days. The devil met him. And when the devil met him, what did he use? The Lord, Matthew 4, Uh, not only began by prayer, but by a rehearsal of Scripture. Matthew 4, 4, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we are to be controlled by scriptural principle. We can control ourselves. We can uh, overrule our passions and our lusts of the heart. The body must be brought under control. Your mind must come under the control of God's Spirit. Fourthly, patience. We see it here, used in our, in our text, verse 6, to knowledge you add temperance. Temperance, self-control. To temperance we add patience. Patience is simply this ability to wait on God's timing. It's not just turning from evil, but even turning from what is good to preserve ourselves for what is best. Patience is not only turning from evil and waiting on God's timing, it is turning from even what we consider good to wait on God's best. 
We are to learn this discipline in God's school of charm called patience. How many of you are waiting on something from God? Most of your hands should be going up. We're praying about, Lord, we, we, we like to see you do this or that or the other, but God, give us your mind. Help us to be patient. A coach we had in high school, and this is a high school basketball coach. I was never that great, but I made the team. I was a bench warmer. But he told us this, man, while you're on my team in high school, you will not, you will not, you made the team, but you will not drink any soda. We, Kansas, we called it pop. Well, you're not going to drink any soda pop. You're not going to even date anybody. Boy, that couple of guys picked their heads up. What do you mean? I'm just playing basketball for you, sir. You're not going to date anybody. You're not, you're not going, to, you're going to stay away from lots of sugar and candy. And we're going to run five miles a day just to get you ready for basketball. And one boy raised his hand. Coach, that's asking a lot. Why? He was probably the kid with the girlfriend, you know, in high school. The coach looked at him. Coach Norman Homescock. <laughs> Just a fiery sweet. He looked at him. Because I'm trying to make you a champion, son. <laughs> We're getting ready to be state champions. And I want you to focus on basketball. I'm glad our English teacher wasn't that intense about things. But anyway... So we left, we all shook our heads, yes sir, and I would go um, back home and my brothers would drink soda right in front of me, and they would look at me and, and I would say, I'm not drinking soda, boys. And they'd say, why? He says, I'd tell them, you guys aren't going to be anything, I'm going to be a champion. <laughs> Even though I sat on a bench in the three minutes of play all season, I'm going to be a champion. Well, the coach is trying to preserve a principle in us. Listen, you put aside things that are uh, not that important. And I want your full attention for the cause that you're engaged in. And we're going to do our part to focus on a disciplined team. So be patient. One day the Lord himself will appear bringing rewards with him. Focus on that day. Fifthly, godliness. Greek, it's to, uh, to revere or reverence. This word has fallen on hard times. Reverence is a healthy fear of God. Respect for God's authority. His will, regardless of my way, my will, in my time. As a parent, my job really is this. It's, it's really to produce in my children a sense of a fear of God. There is a God. Did you know that, children? There's a God. And we serve Him. And we want you to serve Him. So my job is not to hang on to my children. It is to take their little hands, their chubby little hands, their chubby little fingers, even at a young age, and help them realize, number one, there's a God. I want you to hang on to His hand. He is your Father. <laughs> I've just been given temporal custody of you kids. But I want you to put your hand early in the hand of God. Know Him. Know Him. And like Jesus himself said early on, I'm only going to say the things my father says. I'm only going to do the things my father says. And at age 12, they asked little Jesus, what are you doing here in the temple, right? The parents did. What are you doing? Why aren't you with us? We're your parents. What did he say? I must be about my father's business. So as a parent, the goal of my training, child training, is to put their hands in. They're not mine. I just got temporal custody. And I want them to know God. 
And to know and revere and fear God and enjoy that God has this overarching plan for their life. They won't stay with me very long. Sometime I have to say goodbye to them, but they must leave, whether it's college or earlier, or how that works. Someday they leave, but they're holding on to their father's hand. Thank you, Daddy, for putting me in the proper respect and reverence for my father. Brotherly kindness and love are almost a twofold blessing as we end charm school classes. Brotherly kindness, from which we get the Greek word Philadelphia or Philadelphian, to exhibit practical care for others. A couple weeks, we will uh, vote for deacons again, and one of the overarching qualities there for them is to exhibit a care for God's people. It's the kind of love and courtesy, common courtesy, that God displays. Kindness is what it is for sinners. That is becoming uncommon. That goes the second mile. Kindness puts others first. We were looking for it in little children that played soccer with us this week. I was looking for kids that would pass the ball instead of hog the ball. I was looking for boys and girls that would act. It comes from the Lord, even the adults in their lives. It's an uncommon courtesy, isn't it? It comes from the Lord who gave himself for sinners. There's often a lack of it even in the church. It's just about what I can do. Uh, And it's evidenced even in how we keep our schedule, Uh, whether it's a church or Common courtesy, being on time is a common courtesy, isn't it? How you leave your pew is a common courtesy. Sometimes we don't think about the people that have to clean up around us. Don't, don't leave your pew like Dodger Stadium, cheap seats at Dodger Stadium or wherever, Atlanta Braves. We had a man in our first church, and I'm going to meddle in here a little bit, a man in our first church that loved to clip his fingernails during the sermon. I could hear him. It was a small church. I could hear every clip. And then, uh, <laughs> since we wore a lot of hats in that church, often we would do some of the cleaning, and we would find where he sat because there were stacks of fingernails, five in a stack. Weird things happen in church. And Robin said, cheer up, honey. At least he hasn't gone to clipping his toenails yet. <laughs> Courtesy says, I... I put what you want, and I, I'm aware, I'm aware that there are others around me that are looking at me to serve, and so I want to be a servant. I'm going to go the extra mile. I want to do what's right. I want to be a person that's full of Christian courtesy. Well, brotherly kindness means we put the needs of others before our own. In all things, Titus 2, showing a pattern of good works, well-pleasing in all things. And finally, he says, charity or love, that's the word agape. This is the glue that binds it all together, 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have love, you really have nothing. You're just a clanging symbol. Agape love, the quality of mature growth is this motive that transcends them all, glues it all together. The constraining Love of God, evidenced at Calvary. This makes us drawn to such a Savior and informs all that I do. I can love because He first loved me. And what's the promise? If you graduate, (laughs) and we're all in the process of learning, we don't graduate till God calls us home. 
But if you do all these things, verse 8, reminder again, for if these things be in you, as parents, children, whatever, and abound, in other words, if they are growing in you, they make that you shall neither be barren, that means stale, ineffective, unproductive. These, this is the promise, if you work If you give all diligence to these classes, to these disciplines of grace, the promise is God will supply fruit in His way to your account. You arrive in heaven with a blessing spoken of a little later on in verse 11. For so an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly. You will get your reward in heaven. Let's pray together, shall we, Father? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.